Hello, this is Dennis Sanders. Today on the podcast, we look at the Holy Spirit and the church as an institution. This is episode 146 of Church and Maine. Welcome to Church in Maine. This is the podcast that's at the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Happy June and happy summer. So at the time that I'm recording this, it's been about a week since uh, we celebrated Pentecost. And in the Christian church, uh, that many churches celebrate Pentecost, that is the day that we remember when the Holy Spirit arrived and created basically the church. That story of Pentecost in Acts 2 is a story that shows how the disciples of Jesus became the apostles of the early church. They spread the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the known world. That sense of the Holy Spirit um, empowering the disciples to be Christ's witnesses can feel rather lost Um, in the church post-COVID. It's not that the Spirit isn't there. You can't have the church without the Spirit. But it feels that post-pandemic communities of faith feel less cohesive, less full of energy than they once were. And the clergy that lead those communities of faith feel tired and stressed and burnt out. Now, mainline Protestant churches haven't always done a very good job on focusing on the role of the Holy Spirit and focusing especially on how the role how the Holy Spirit works in the life of our churches. And frankly, that's a shame because it is the Holy Spirit that makes church more than just a social club that happens to meet on Sunday mornings. So in this episode, I'm honored to have Juan Sarmiento as my guest. He is a native of Venezuela, uh, ordained in Brazil, and he is the executive presbyter of the Presbytery of San Fernando, a presbytery of the Presbyterian Church USA, that's located in the northwest of the Los Angeles metro area. In this interview, we talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, um, all of the new churches that are taking root in his presbytery, and believe me, there are a lot of new churches um, that are being planted in his presbytery, and also the importance of the church as an institution, especially in this time when so many institutions, including the church, are weakened, and also in this time of political polarization. So, with all that, and without further ado, let's listen to Juan Sarmiento.
Well, thanks for taking the time to um, chat with me today. I'd love to know and hear more about what's kind of going on in um, the San Fernando Presbytery. Well, that is, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for including us in this conversation that you have ongoing with several uh, really uh, fascinating people in different uh, parts of, of the country. So I think the first thing I'd want to do is to know a little bit more about you. I, I know some of of um, your background um, uh, growing up in Venezuela and kind of how kind of you got to where you are now. Surely. Well, I, I was, uh, as you mentioned, born in a country that is at the same time uh, the one with the largest oil reserves in the world and the top producer of refugees in the Western Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those things uh, are hard to imagine that both things can happen uh, in, in, in a particular country. But uh, I was... I uh, had the privilege of growing up during the time of the oil boom, uh, mm -hmm. and a lot of Venezuelans did not think of um, leaving the country other than for education. Um, however, at the age of 14, I came across some uh, other uh, Christians. Uh, I was born in the Roman Catholic Church, for which I'm very grateful. And uh, But it, for whatever reason, he made so very little to me until the age of 14. And then at the age of 14, um, I realized that Christianity could be more exciting than I anticipated. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I thought, well, I want to be part of that. And it just so happens to be um, a group of Presbyterian elders um, that were holding meetings out, out of their homes and... Um, and I and I said, well, I I would like to serve God, and um, I like to uh, be involved in things that uh, would take um, you know uh, us or our attention away from kind of our immediate concerns to people in the Andes, people in 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 uh, Asia and in Africa and so forth and so on. So I came to the United States with the intention of pursuing uh, more education, a master's mm -hmm. degree in the area of intercultural studies. And that's what originally brought me here. So I'm kind of curious, what is um, kind of Reformed and Presbyterianism look like in kind of in a Latin American context? Because I think here in America, we tend to think of Presbyterianism, very European or very American. Um, what kind of context in, in some ways, how did Presbyterian kind of Presbyterianism come to you in that context? And how is that different from here in the United States? Well, I, I usually, and, and this is something that is typical of everybody in every part of the world. We tend to see ourselves at the center of the world. So when you look at uh, Presbyterianism or even uh, historical Protestant denominations, it's very easy to think, oh, it's it's an American thing. And oftentimes we hear it is a white thing. Well, uh, you know, it is uh, it is not, um, you know, uh for instance, in Presbyterianism, this comes as a surprise to many, but uh, there are probably twice as many Presbyterians in Mexico, south south of the border, than in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. In Brazil, for instance, where I went to college, there is over a million Presbyterians, so it would be comparable to the Presbyterian population of the United States. Uh, um, so, 
it, those are churches with um, uh, deep historical roots, uh, great appreciation of the reform uh, uh, movement, all right, in 16th century Europe. And then, of course, with a Hispanic Latino flavor to it. Um, so uh, at times, you know, um, uh, reform Presbyterians in those uh, parts of the world will uh, uh, be more Presbyterians than U.S. Presbyterians because they want to hang on to the reform yeah. tradition the best uh, and in the strict, strictest way possible. And on the other hand, um, um, there is also some encouraging signs of giving it more of a Latino Hispanic flavor, um, and um, and, and uh, combine that with some of our court, cultural uh, idiosyncrasies, I would say, uh, and uniqueness of every part of every culture within Latin America. But you know, very few people know, for instance, that the largest Presbyterian church in the Western Hemisphere is in the Amazon. Uh, in the Brazilian mm-hmm. Amazon, in the city of Manaus, um, mm-hmm. which is you know a church of around twelve thousand people, that continues to grow and uh, and continues to do good work in that beautiful part of the world. Well, I think that that's one of the things that we don't we especially here in the United States need to learn more. It's about what is the state of the church, how is it, what is it like in in um, especially in Latin America. Um, I think we tend to think we know what that is, but we really don't. Um, <laughs> and there's, a, I think there's just a lot to learn uh, about how that is shaping up. What is that? What does that look like? And, and I think more importantly, even what do they have to teach us here in the United States? Well, that's very kind. I think, I mean, theologically speaking, um, we are if we are the body of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. We are to rejoice with those that rejoice and and mm-hmm. and and uh, cry with those that cry, mourn with those that mourn. And uh, there's quite a bit of rejoicing all over the world, um, yep. and and I think we deprive ourselves from that privilege uh, and that a spiritual, a spiritually enriching dynamic uh, that could could take place. Uh, and and uh, when we open ourselves to learning from one another as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that's um, a commonality I find interesting, um, my mom um, is, is Puerto Rican. She grew up there um, and um, grew up Roman Catholic like you. She became um, Baptist uh, um, while living uh, on the island. So it's just kind of interesting kind of that similarity that the I think the Roman Catholic Church is kind of the the baseline for many ways, and and people can kind of branch off in different ways. And nothing against Roman Catholicism. I think that that's um, an important tradition. And half of my education um, was with the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so, uh, but that's kind of an interesting commonality, which I don't think is is that rare. Um, in the Caribbean and in Latin America. Yeah, it is not. I mean, Roman Catholicism is certainly a big part of our culture. Um, yeah. And and there is a movement towards uh, Pentecostalism in its, in its historical forms. Um, I don't like to say mainline because, you know, it, it, I think it was a very ephemeral um, uh, period of time in American history that when um, historical Protestantism was front and center, 
but um, um, we, um, you know, there have been tensions, certainly religious tensions in the mm -hmm. region, uh, misunderstandings, hostilities uh, that we regret. Uh, uh, and, and I personally, I mean, one element that has been important in Latin America, as you may know, uh, uh, is, is the pr presence and the influence of Pentecostalism in charismatic movements. Um, I, I would say that, uh, yeah, we, we, we would uh, be remiss if we did not acknowledge that element that connected so well, I believe, with the deep yearnings and sensitivities of the Hispanic, uh, of, uh, you know, most Hispanic cultures. Uh, I personally have found something uh, to be very satisfying, both the connection of of, of the, the the spiritual dynamics of of um, uh, you know more um, Protestant uh, movements uh, and, and and the sacramental elements of of Roman Catholicism, um, you know, and 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 um, uh, the ability to to live that out in in the context of uh, Protestantism, so both the emphasis in the Word, the Spirit, and, and the Sacrament, um, mm -hmm. you know, are are very enriching, and I think um, you know help us live more fully into our ecumenical sense of of what we are as the people of God and 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 Christ's people. Do you think your encounter with Pentecostalism deepened your understanding, especially of the Holy Spirit? Well, I mean, there's undoubtedly a uh, an element of experiential um, uh, reality that has seized the, the hearts of, of people, not only in Latin America, but in, in, in all over the world. Oh. Demographically, I would say, you know, very, the, uh, if without making any judgment, certainly, you know, all of us might have different perspectives of, on 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 um, the the demographic realities, but it is the most significant demographic development in the 20th century. Um, you know, some people say out of here of, of Los Angeles, right? Um, and, and so I think we we ought to pay attention to that, um, and and at least um, you know in the Latino context, there's no way you could be a Christian without paying attention to. Um, to those expressions of faith. And I could echo that within the African-American community as well, <laughs> as you probably well know. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about um, San Fernando Presbytery. What is it like? Um, probably for some of us, where is it located? Um, and how long have you been executive presbyter? Well, I'm... Um, the San Fernando Presbytery came out of the Los Angeles Presbytery, a regional body uh, that in uh, um, at some point was the largest um, geographical unit in, in the Presbyterian Church, the Northern Church um, out of New York. Um, and, uh, and in 68, in the midst of great um, um, Ra uh, racial ethnic attention and political turmoil um uh, it, it became uh, a series or, or a group of different uh, regional units so San Fernando is one of of, of those units that interestingly came out of the more more urban um uh region and and um and, and I think 
in some ways, back in 68, reflected the desire of people to separate themselves from what would have been kind of a very uh, conflicted urban center. Uh, now uh, it is now uh, the uh, times has gone by. Forty-seven percent of the population of our region are Hispanics, Latino, Latinx, wow. um, and um, they, uh, uh, you know, God has a good sense of humor, and uh, and the presbytery called a Hispanic <coughs> to become the the executive presbyter uh, three years ago. So I'm heading towards my third year here. I'm having a great uh, uh, time. Uh, these are wonderful people uh, that are seizing the opportunity for uh, what is oftentimes um, uh, the real challenges of, of of our churches, more established churches, uh, um, seizing, seeing it as an opportunity to explore new avenues of ministry and engagement with our communities um, in, in ways that really have... Um, have uh, really uh, kind of surprised us all in terms of how um, uh, people are readier than we would expect them to be to to be part of new forms of of church. And I've um, just kind of looking in, in in my research that there seems to be a, a lot more new churches kind of coming online, um, especially. Uh, Latino communities, but other communities as well. Um, have those just come on in, in, in recent years, or has that been going on for a while? And kind of what is the impetus in planning new communities? Because I think the in our context, especially with a lot of mainline churches, it tends to seem that we're not planting as many churches. But I see a lot of new, new growth happening Um in your presbytery, well, the presbytery is growing, um, and thanks be to God. I mean, it, it's exciting to see that, um, and and it has to uh, it has to do with first, I think, a commitment to to the sense of of we being church, not only to preserve uh, our form of of being church, but to explore. Uh, how God might want us to um, to be reformed uh, and to be transformed and to be reforming uh, a reforming presence and, and and influence in the world, um, and uh, it and the willingness to say also to make mistakes and learn from the mistakes. I think that mm. has been a, a constant in in the presbytery. So I came. I first came. Um, uh, to to the presbytery about 22 years ago as a, a new church developer as a you know church planter so to speak and I made so many mistakes and uh, people and I thought that was the enemy I thought well I I blew it you know I don't I I don't deserve to be part of of this presbytery and they said no you, you now you're going to be the moderator of presbytery so. Uh, moderator being kind of the highest elected office in the presbytery, and and, and I thought that was um, uh, an interesting way of punishment, <laughs> but also an affirmation of the ethos of of this regional body of saying, you know, um, we value people that take risks and that even fail at that. Um, so that 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 was uh, twenty something twenty years ago at least. Mm-hmm. 
and I have in in my work uh, in other parts of, with other uh, parts of our denominational life um, always remain as part of the presbytery. So when I was invited back, I really um, I felt okay. This is my community, but also a community that values um, creativity, uh, what mm. we call faithful innovation. And that has been uh, a really important element. So we've been experimenting with the online community. We've been experimenting with Spanish-speaking communities, second-generation Latinos. We're doing Indo-Pakistani ministries. Um, by the grace of God, we have uh, um, a couple of uh, new worshiping community leaders that are African-American and um, a Taiwanese-American. So we're seeing a, a true Pentecost and uh, uh, in terms of um, the spirit um, gifting uh, people that are called to service uh, and and people coming uh, alongside uh, to support that and and also people responded uh, responding to to their witness. Now, one way that I think in the past that a lot of um, you know, churches like the Presbyterian Church and even the disciples and others. Um, would plant new churches um, was kind of what they would call, I guess, a parachute drop, where they would have a, a pastor kind of come in um, and they'd have money and they kind of create this new community. That was something I think that worked probably 40, 50 years ago. Um, I think that I've seen other um, bodies try that. It doesn't has not worked as well now. Um, how are new churches being planted in in your context now? How is that different from what it was in the past, um, especially kind of in a time when there's aren't as many resources, especially in, in this case, money that's available, um, and even sometimes um, not having being able to kind of support full time pastors or things to that extent. Well, uh, we've made that mistake too. I mean, uh, uh, I haven't, we have nothing against demographic studies. They are helpful. And then, um, so we thought, okay, this area is growing. There's going to be new housing coming. And, and, and a certain percentage of the new people there will have a, uh, uh, preference for a reformed Presbyterian, uh, congregation. And therefore, we this is the place where we need to invest. Mm. Um, the The challenge with that is that it neglects two very important elements. One is that the segment of the population with a preference to a um, a mainline uh, uh, Protestant reform witness is decreasing uh, mm. rapidly. So so um, we we could overestimate our capacity to engage them uh, and and thinking that naturally they will join one of our churches. That that happened in the past, uh, in the beginning of the Los Angeles Presbytery, and to a certain extent, the beginning of the San Fernando Presbytery. But it's no longer the case. And, 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 uh, and, and that is um, uh, an approach that is hard for us to to recognize it's a hard pill to swallow, so to speak, but it is a reality, right? And and that's important. The other element is that it presupposes the fact that um, it positions us as people that have a, a place of privilege and power uh, mm -hmm. in society. 
that um, it, it, that is sometimes off-putting to people uh, in in our communities. Um, I think, I mean, and, and this is this is this could be very idealistic, but I think the Christian movement did not begin from a place of power and privilege, right, as a function of empire. But it began as people that were motivated by uh, the reality of the crucified and risen Christ, empowered mm -hmm. by the Spirit, uh, to go and serve and love uh, people that were different than they were. And, and I think that compelling witness um, of, of sacrificial love is one that um, continues to be... Um, as relevant and as necessary as it has ever been. Do you think that that kind of power and privilege in some ways can keep us from really planting successful churches because we think that there's only a certain way of how things should come about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think possibly, you know, some of the markers uh, – um, that we have traditionally adopted in terms of attendance and budget size um, could um, actually be detrimental to the to the uh, development of, of real relationships with people that are crucial for the gospel to be embodied in a particular place. So I think um, there is um, there is more authenticity in engaging at a level of of, of common need, uh, a need for grace that is an element, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in most certainly present in, in our reform tradition, but in, in in all the Christian tradition, our common need for God's grace to come and 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 be expressed in our neighborhoods, in our life together, um, you know, elements like okay, not only. And, and and this is a cliche, but what is not only your sitting capacity, but your sending capacity. How are people being empowered uh, to be part of God's action, liberating and, and um, transforming action in the world? Um, and those are, those are um, so to speak, um, ways of measuring um, success that mm -hmm. oftentimes we don't, we don't take into consideration. Because we're kind of expecting, as kind of the crude way of putting it, butts and seeds, but not how people are being sent out into the world um, In, yeah. to do work and to witness. And, and, and you know, something that we have experienced in this is both congregations that are not, that, that have a very minimal budget, mm -hmm. but are vibrant, life-giving, and uh, and exciting places to belong, healthy places of health, and God's shalom, paz, salam, uh, peace, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then you and then you find also another very interesting element that we've had is seeing people with uh, probably greater given potential saying, "I want to give to this. I I want to." Uh, I want to offer of, of my substance, so to speak, to this, what, what's happening here, because I believe in your mission and I believe in, in the commitment of this group of people. And I believe in what ultimately what God is doing in this place. Um, it, not 
So, so the typical pledge uh, system, you know, we continue to promote that uh, of people that are good Presbyterians, you know, that that uh, in 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 towards the end of the year say, you know, because I've been a member of this church for thirty years or for two years, I I will pledge part of my income to this. Uh, church, but that has been disrupted at least here. I don't know how Presbyterians will be in other parts of the world, in, in other parts of the country, but here uh, it, it it is more of um, uh, um, uh, a sense of uh, a gratitude that expresses itself in generosity uh, mm-hmm. that um, that allows for that community not only to continue but to see what is next. And at times, what is next is the development of new communities, new churches, um, instead of just saying, okay, we need to pay the bills here and make sure that we we stick around, we stay around. At times, uh, sadly, the, the decision is, you know, instead of this one, how about we, we focus in three new uh, worshiping communities instead of trying to keep this one alive? And and I think, um, I mean, I'm not saying that's the way it should be, but uh, that's kind of what we're experiencing here. <laughs> so in, in some of the things that I've been reading um, from, from you in the Presbytery is one of the things that keeps coming up is the role of discipleship, especially in creating new communities. Um, what is, why do you think that that is important? And two, do you think that especially as a larger church, and not just Presbyterian church, but I think church in general, we have kind of fallen down when it comes to discipleship? Yes, I think so. I mean, discipleship, as you know, so many words have been, uh, is a term that has been um Co-opted by certain by certain uh, uh, sections or expressions of Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, in my my understanding, I mean, it is a, a word that has been um, in vogue uh, in, in, within the evangelical movement, um, and uh, and perhaps other expressions of Christianity, more of in, on the ecumenical movement side of things, would probably uh, cringe at some of the things that they hear about the word, and then uh, uh, at the end, I think we could end up throwing the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. Um, the um, the the more recent uh, formal government of of the uh, Presbyterian Church USA is is certainly big on uh, discipleship, and uh, it is. Um, um, really calls us to a life of certainly following Jesus. That's, I think, what 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 it entails, and uh, encouraging uh, others to do the same. Um, by no means it is um, uh, uh, something that that you know that encourages people to just all of them, all of us be conformed to a certain pattern, right? Um, and so we could call this, you know, a liberating uh, uh, path rather than than one of um, of restriction and uh, and uh, 
living by a certain set of rules and regulations. But it is it is at the core of what we do. And and so um if and this is going to be, you know, sound categorical, but uh, but uh, what we do, I mean, if we don't have uh, a Jesus, the Christ at front and center in our lives, then, then you know, we wonder what we're about. Um, I mean, I'm going to use some, I'm, I'm going to use some uh, probably terms here that, ca- that have been problematic at times. Some denominations have been, called, have been called the Republican Party at prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then some people that have been dissatisfied with that have said, well, uh, let's turn it around and we're going to be the Democratic uh, Party with no prayer. And, and, and I'm thinking, <laughs> that, you know, why do we have to choose between one and the other? I mean, uh, I would say that... Um, um, those we're called to discipleship and and that has to do with how we vote and that has to do with uh, how we relate to one another how we form communities that reflect um, God's purposes and goodness uh, and and how we continue to be open to the to the spirit and then, yeah, my reform side is going to show up according to the Word of God. How do we continue to be reformed according to the Word of God? Mm-hmm. And as far as I can see in the Bible, I mean, the words, uh, uh, you know, discipleship is is very present, and words as Democrat and Republican are nowhere to be found. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there is an interesting thing of in our culture that I mean, I think discipleship is happening. It's just sometimes who is doing the disciple or who, what are we allowing ourselves to be discipled in? Um, And I think there is a danger sometimes in our culture of allowing things other than Jesus um, in this case, political parties. And that has been actually a a concern um, sometimes, especially how that's, made its way into the church these days. I agree. I agree. I think, I mean, so, so if anything, the church is a community of mission and a community of formation. And, and so we, uh, who, who are we being formed? That doesn't mean that we might, will not have strong um, um, opinions and mm-hmm. even engagement and commitments in relation to our life, the life of our society and the life of the, our world. And and uh, how do we do that as people that follow Jesus um, mm-hmm. rather than um, a particular platform or agenda? So so I, I, I know that I took you away from the word discipleship, but I think it, it is a real concern in these times of polarization where you say, well, what kind of disciple are you um, and, and, uh, and, 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 and first and foremost is in, uh, is in our life as disciple, um, uh, as, uh, as disciples and people that promote that, um, broader than any other loyalty, even, you know, say it even party or even national loyalty. Mm-hmm. That kind of leads to something, um, and one of the reasons I, I wanted to have you on as a guest is about the role of um, institutions in our society. Um, and 
we kind of, as you know, people will say, and, and there is truth in it, that we live in a time of weakening institutions and there's a whole lot of distrust about institutions. Um, and I think sometimes also a little bit of hesitation. Um, you know, the church, of course, is an institution that a lot of people either just don't put a lot of trust in anymore. Um, and sometimes I think our response is sometimes to go as far as to say, well, we really are an institution. You know, we're kind of this fellowship or, or movement. Um, and of course, church's institution has not always had a great past. Um, but what do you see as the importance of institutions, especially the church as an institution in our society today, um, especially in this time of kind of, of polarization? and distrust in so many institutions. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that's a crucial question, because uh, especially for our context here, because um, in, in, in our desire of being innovative, um, we can become also iconoclastic, uh, and that is mm. a big you know, historical word. In the Reformation, you know, people seeking to reform the church and destroy uh many of the of the sacred elements that were present there for centuries right talking about our um our gratitude to um to uh the the Roman Catholic um uh, tradition um we 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 got to be careful um with that and, and that is very embedded in our protestant ethos of of um, saying starting from scratch, so to speak. The thing is that from starting from scratch can can without regards to our past can be severely damaging, uh, particularly for a movement that has been around for two thousand years. Um, it, it, it is uh, not only idealistic but also presumptuous. And so, uh, along with a lot of uh, uh, Presbyterians, I affirm um, our, our our creeds and our confessions. Um, those are elements that continue to be present. Our our um, uh, uh, our commitment to be guided by by um, uh, the scriptures. Right now, it, it is when you connect that to institutions. Um, Certainly, there could be a sense in which institutions can, might not deserve our trust, and, and that mm -hmm. is that is that is something that I'm grateful for our press, uh, our Protestant identity. There are elements in which uh, institutions need to be brought into questions and re uh, and and uh, considered to be relative rather than. Um, just um you know definitive um uh every institution is penultimate to the kingdom of god to god's reign and and fulfillment of of god's purposes yet uh they serve a purpose and going back to your question about discipleship and formation the only way we do formation is in the context of community and 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 that necessitates uh uh the formation of institutions and so um we we believe in schools uh mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that we believe blindly in them um I, in some ways I'm a child you know I'm a latino but I grew up listening to Pink Floyd uh saying <laughs> we don't need no education right 
but 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 um, formation, uh, even the the LPs was a require uh, uh, a certain degree of of, of um, um, ingenuity and collaboration that happens within institutions. And, and uh, so I was formed by that, uh, by, by those uh, in, in my early years, in my youth, uh, by uh, those, those questionings of institutions. But um, then on the other hand, I have attended at least four uh, institutions of higher learning in the United States. That was one. That was what brought me here, um, and and I still say um, put my salary in a bank that is an institution, uh, and um, and and I whenever I I have a need I'll go uh, to a hospital which is an institution. So the solution, the the the, the idea that doing away from institutions. Is what we need uh, is is naive um, at best and and very dangerous at worst and and so uh, there are there is a need for spaces that where we um, submit ourselves to rules to expectations to a common set of of of, of guidelines for our life together and a common purpose and. Um, if if you don't if you rather not use the word institution for that that's okay, but I think it is uh, very much uh, within the idea of um, of who we are as human. Do you think that that's one of the reasons we're seeing kind of the rise in? I, w- I guess maybe demagogues or other people that are kind of who kind of basically say don't trust these institutions. But then they kind of turn around and say, put your trust in me. Um, But you kind of see these people kind of rising up that um, it's kind of the the result of of living kind of in an anti-institutional age. Absolutely. I I think that the lack of of trust in institutions is sometimes, you know, Warranted a lack of trust in institutions uh, uh, generates, um, you know, the possibility for people for us to trust uh, um, certain individuals that would mm-hmm. offer solutions to us and and um, claim to have uh, a better way ahead. Um, and, and, but I think that I find that to be deeply problematic and disturbing because um, it is. Um, it is not, uh, you know, that violates uh, some of the important elements of, 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 of our faith. I mean, that we're people uh, upon which the Holy Spirit has, has been poured out, and that it is not just the prerogative or the privilege of a person, however charismatic that person be, might be, but it is, um, it is for us to um, discern um, what what we need to do together, and, and uh, even when, even if I don't agree with the decision of the group, I be I continue to belong with this group, um, and, and I think that is uh, part of what has uh, been uh, one of the possible gifts um, of of um, classical historical Protestantism to American society, um, the ability to um, to stay um, connected, um, even 
if we dissent uh, with the decisions that we've made. Um, that, that That is an important part of life together. Otherwise, what lies ahead is, yes, the, the, the rise of people that will promise uh, things and beyond what they can realistically deliver, and uh, a fragmentation of society in which everybody distrusts everybody. And, uh, and and what matters, and, and we become hyper individualistic, and um, and and have no regard for the needs of others, especially uh, the people that are uh, the most uh, excluded and and neglected part of of society. Yeah. Where do you think that the role of of the Holy Spirit kind of? factors in when it comes to institutions. Because I think, at least on the surface, people would think about that and think, Holy Spirit, and I think we have this image sometimes of more free spirit, free spirit um, whereas institutions very much rules-based. Where do you think that those two can, can work together um, to really kind of strengthen people and strengthen the community? Well, uh, see, the spirit, and that is one. Okay, the spirit will come to challenge at times the the um, the limits of institution, um, mm -hmm. and so we need to be open to the work of the spirit. Um, I, I would say, as long as we don't understand that that work of the Holy Spirit, uh, the spirit can only work through one person or one individual. Uh, but uh, but um, so so uh, I would say that the ideal organizational arrangement or, or form of life together um, uh, or institutional life is one in which um, um, attentiveness is given to the voice of the spirit through the broadest variety of people. Um, and, and I understand that this could be uh, in very practical ways, um, uh, frustrating. Because if you want to hear the broadest number of people, it takes a lot of time. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and and in disruptive times, like the ones that we live in, I mean, it, it's possibly better to say, no, we abdicate our, our responsibility uh, to one person that is going to be our, our guide. And they... And, and, and this person will decide what is right and what is wrong. Um, I think I think there has we, we have to and, and you know some people call me a bishop uh, for the churches, but I I stay away from putting myself in that role. Um, and, and it is a dance. Uh, I'm sorry, Dennis, to say this because uh, there are times when I have to make a quick decision um, mm -hmm. that. Might not be popular, but uh, I do have to, uh, in, in some ways, act as someone that has uh, been placed in this role to make decisions. But, but on the other hand, um, uh, we, if all, if, if any organization, institution that is just based on the decisions of an individual, or a, uh, or a, a close group of people. Um, can um, you know? Can really be heading towards a very difficult uh, cliff. So, I I uh, I think there are times 
as much as, as there's a need for quick decisions in today's day and age, as the people of God, I mean, we have to move um, slowly together um, and, with wisdom, um, and especially during times like this. Kind of um, as we're kind of coming close to kind of wrapping things up here, I um, I don't know if you are a follower um, Ryan um, Berge. He is a American Baptist pastor, but he's also kind of a religious demographer. And he actually did a post very recently about um, decline, especially within uh, the Presbyterian Church USA. Um, and it was kind of an interesting graph as he showed, you know, in the 40 years since the merger of the Northern and Southern Church, um, there hasn't been a year of growth. It's just kind of been a downward trajectory. Um it wasn't necessarily the most hopeful. Um, it was realistic, but not, you know. But I think maybe that is the question I want to bring out there is because I think, you know, when any anyone ever talks about mainline Protestantism, it's kind of always a, well, they're kind of just on the decline. And I think the question that I always want to know is where is the hope um, it, that can be found? Um where is, how do we live into God's future? Um, and does this have to, does the, basically, does demography, the demographics have to be destiny? Um, I tend to believe it doesn't have to be, but I'm just curious, what, what are your thoughts about that? Right, well, it is, um, I mean, the, the, the numerical um losses uh have exacerbated um for for uh mainline or by historical protestantisms uh standards i mean one element is and, and i don't know if it's, it, it does um it does help in terms of of comfort in any way but um very different segments of christianity such as the southern baptist uh, convention are experiencing very significant numerical uh, uh, losses, or, or as they call it, uh, uh, negative growth. Uh, and and um, uh, so so I think there is something deeper that it has not to. It, it is not only about who is not as bad as the other. It is yeah. uh, it is a rapid process of secularization. Uh, that is um, has become more so. I, I think the hope um, is in in a way in the place where it should have always been. And it is in 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 our faith in Christ that we get uh, to live and share, regardless of what segment of 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 uh, a particular society or percentage of a particular pop, uh, or the population, general population. We we are, uh, or we represent. I think uh, I would say the, the hope also is in 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 the, um, finding new ways of collaboration. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm I, I'm uh, I think 
um, we, as as numbers continue to the, to a decrease, as very likely will be the case, hopefully we'll find ways of doing more things together uh, with other expressions of Christianity within our our, our in the case of of Presbyterian Church USA, one million people um, that are a small family of one million, and that very likely will be a family of half of that in 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 the next few decades. I mean, I don't want to be a prophet of disaster, but that is you know that that is the trend. Um, and and I think the hope is in the real work of God in seeing new leaders being formed. Um, uh, uh, Disciples, uh, uh, people that are coming afresh or uh, with a renewed sense of commitment uh, to to discipleship, uh, that gives us hope uh, into the future of the church. And another thing is also uh, that gives me hope is seeing uh, uh, or staying in touch with pl- two two kinds of places. One is places where the church is growing. Uh, where uh, faith is lived um, uh, in, in an exciting and sometimes exuberant way uh, yeah. in other parts of the world, and also places where li- being a disciple is difficult um, because uh, because of of, of um, inner religious uh, tensions or political tensions, but uh, people that continue to do that. So. In my view, I gave you a list of things. I think there's great hope, and not necessarily for the reversal of the numbers of the numerical trends, but for the fact that um, a God is still at work in the world, and and, and that is uh, what we hang on to. Well, I think I'm, that is a good place to end it with a sense of hope um, in knowing that God is kind of with us, even if the situations outside aren't always as great. So uh, Juan Sarmiento, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Muchas gracias, hermano, Dennis. (laughs) Gracias, gracias. Take care. You too. thankful for Juan Sarmiento uh, being able to take the time to chat with me um, today. And I hope that this interview was helpful to you and your ministry. Um, also, I'm, I will leave a link to that the article that I referenced in the interview um, from Ryan. I'm, I hope I get the last name right, Abergi. Um, that talks about the Presbyterian Church. Um, I think it's an interesting article, for, especially for Presbyterians, but even if you're not, still a good article to see kind of what's been going on in mainline churches um, and also to see where we can try to rebuild. So I will put those um, that link in the dis, uh, dis, uh, show description. So 
please consider leaving a rating or a review of this podcast in your favorite podcast app. And um, also consider subscribing to Substack. Um, it's a great way to get the podcast in your in- inbox once it goes live. Uh, to do that, go to churchandmain, all one word, dot substack, dot com to subscribe. Also, if you would like to donate uh, to support this podcast, you can do so. There are links, again, in the show description to do that. Um, also, know that there are uh, more uh, interview coming up. Uh, So stay tuned for new content coming your way very soon. And that is it for this episode of Church in Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Thank you so much for listening. It always means a lot. Take care, everyone. Godspeed. And I will see you very soon.